Hello and welcome to my office. It's Kara Lorenz. Thanks for joining me for conversations once again with fearless leaders from around the world as we discuss the mechanics of high performance, success and failure, and what it takes to achieve more than you ever thought possible. Through the conversation ahead, I hope to challenge, inform, and inspire you to move fearlessly and maybe even a little undaunted to higher levels of performance. And that message starts right now. I'm going to give you a hint. Today's guest calls herself an accidental entrepreneur. Kara Golden is an innovator, an industry disruptor, a mom to four amazing kids, and an author. But here's the reveal. She's also the founder and CEO of Hint Inc., best known for its award-winning Hint Water, the leading fruit-infused, unsweetened flavored water, which has zero calories, zero sweeteners, zero nuts, zero soy, gluten, or preservatives. And Carol also released her first book last year titled Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. Kara Golden, welcome to my office. So excited to be here. Oh gosh, I've been waiting for this day. We were we were just chit-chatting right before we started. We've got a mutual friend in Allison Levine. So uh, I feel like I, I know more about you than maybe I should. I don't know. <laughs> She's so great. Well, Kara, I am I'm thrilled that you're joining us today. And I have to tell you, I love your story because of the resilience that you've shown through so many twists and turns and your ability to really uh, change directions throughout your journey so far. You've had a really successful career in multiple different tech companies, and then something in your life situation changed a little bit. Yeah, well, I had kids, uh, first mm -hmm. of all. And so I think that that was such a monumental change for me. I had three kids under the age of four. So that in and of itself was a little nutty. Um, but then I also realized that I wasn't as healthy as I wanted to be. And I kind of woke up one day and felt like my energy had dramatically changed. I had a terrible cystic adult acne that I had never even had as a teenager. And I had gained a bunch of weight that I was, you know, thinking, what is it about my life right now that is just kind of falling apart, frankly? And that's when I really started to think about everything that I was kind of putting into my body first, right? Like I knew I was exercising and doing all of that, but I really questioned whether or not I was doing the right thing for myself, but also frankly for my family. I think that the idea of having these other people in my house that I needed to take care of, I started to say, you know, wake up and start feeling like you got to take care of yourself and be a little more serious about that. And what I realized first was that it was really hard. It was probably one of the hardest things that I had ever tackled was my own health, that I found it very confusing that, you know, I was going to the grocery store, I was counting calories, I was, you know, trying all different diets, which I had never done. And I couldn't believe how challenging it was. And I felt a little ridiculous, frankly, actually talking about it in that way. And then I had really kind of given up and started to kind of think about, well, maybe this is just the way I'm meant to be. Maybe it's my metabolism has changed in some way and I'm just going to live with it and continue what I'm doing. When one day I looked down at my diet drink and my Diet Coke in particular, that was my thing. The Pepsi people love me because I, I wasn't a Pepsi fan. I never talk about Pepsi. For me, I was you know definitely all in on the Diet Coke was drinking tons of it for years, never thinking I was doing anything wrong. And when I was confused by the ingredients that I felt like I needed, you know, to pull out an encyclopedia or, you know, Google it or however you want to talk about it, that's when I thought maybe I should just eliminate it until I figure out if it's even something I should spend the time looking up. And I started drinking water in exchange for Diet Coke, which I felt like I had been sentenced, frankly, that for me, <laughs> drinking water was just, you know, I knew I, you know, I wasn't clueless. I knew that I would drink lots of, I was supposed to drink lots of water. I was an aspiring, 
you know, water drinker, but never really did it. And the reason I didn't is because water was boring. So I started slicing up fruit. I think that the first time I did it, I probably wondered if anyone was looking that I was like cheating on. I didn't think that that was supposed to, you know, happen. I didn't know what would happen. Was I adding calories? Was I adding, you know, problems to my water in some way? And that's when I, I thought, well, this gets me to drink water and that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And about two and a half weeks later, I woke up and I lost a lot of the weight that I was trying to lose. I lost over 24 pounds in two and a half weeks. And I was shocked, frankly, because I thought, wait, what just happened here? I mean, why is this happening to me? And And Kara, Kara, I'm going to interrupt you just for a second, because I'm sure people's brains right now are even just trying to get their wrapped around that 24 pounds. I know it's crazy. It was crazy. And it was like my I mean, I I think back on those days, actually, I think that my body, as crazy as it sounds, just kind of became happy, right? Like, I think I was on Mm -hmm. the border. I was never diagnosed. And this was 16 years ago. We started actually this month. And I think I was like borderline what is now termed pre-type 2 diabetic, that I was continuing Mm -hmm. to hold on to weight and produce Mm -hmm. insulin buy mm-hmm. diet sweeteners. No one was talking about that 16 right. years ago. Right. And uh, I actually had somebody on on my podcast, Dr. Robert Lustig, that talked about this, that I was so far ahead of where a lot of people were back then. And, you know, even many people today, but it's just, you know, the fact that these diet sweeteners were producing insulin in my body, I never thought that was happening. And I was crashing. I was slowly crashing. I was holding on to weight. Suddenly I eliminated the diet sweeteners. That was pretty much the only place that I was getting diet sweeteners from was my diet soda. Right. And I think- Right. And everywhere else. I mean, I remember going to a doctor and a doctor saying to me, are you sure you're not having like 12 cupcakes a day? And I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. that's not what that's not what's happening at all. And I drink Diet Coke. I'm I'm super healthy. And when I stopped, that's when I went through this really big reset. I mean, I felt like I had the worst case of the flu that I had ever had. I mean, I definitely had headaches, which you know, the caffeine. And I sort of, you know, knew that that was going to come. But then in addition to that, it was just, you know, I had really bad stomach cramps. I I was going through this detox and it was not pretty. I mean, it was really not a lot of fun, but I I surfaced and I figured out that it, it was bad, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't horrible that there was definitely a plateau and then it and then it got better and this is what i share with people today that you know i would imagine any addiction is like that like when you've got to go through this really really heavy time and is it worth it or not to to go through it for me you know coming out on the other end i see now that you know, it was super worth it that lots of things happened. My skin cleared up then, my energy levels came back. And then I went through this process combined with my own curiosity of trying to figure out what did happen. What else did I do? Did I, was I actually eating 12 cupcakes a day? I mean, I don't think so, but I mean, am I going crazy here? I mean, why did this happen? And so I went through this process at that point of, um, you know, doing all kinds of crazy things, which is a lot of what I talk about in the book. I'd, I'd call the soda companies and try and find out, hey, why, why is it that now I'm losing weight when that's what I wanted to do, you know, mm-hmm. when I was drinking the diet sodas. But once I gave up the diet sweeteners, then I'm losing the weight. I'm, you know, my skin is getting better, all, all of these things. And, and so, again, I think having curiosity something I talk about, you know, as a, as a key trait for entrepreneurs was really evident to me there because I just was persistent, relentless, however you want it. I just wanted to find out the answer to the question. And that was really stemmed from the curiosity. So then you, you find yourself in this position where you're like, okay, well, this, if this is helpful for me, maybe it's helpful for other people. So how did you start crowdsourcing or who were your first testers of your product? Well, you know, initially I didn't even think of it even as, you know, starting a 
company. I was just, I was doing it in my kitchen. Friends would come over to my house. Uh, my kids, again, they were young, but um, their friends would be over and I would give them tastes of it. And then I remember uh, a parent reached out to me at one point and said, hey, what is that strawberry juice that my kid had over at your house? And I said, you mean strawberry water? And she said, wait, it's water? And I said, yeah, it's just, I throw a bunch of strawberries in the water and I, it's something that I'm making in my kitchen. And she's like, wow, that is so interesting. So it's actually not juice at all. And I said, no. And she's like, we've been trying to get our kids to stop drinking juice and this is amazing. I've got to try it. And so I kept hearing this interest and people not even knowing what they were saying were giving me all kinds of clues that health for them was not as easy to find either in different ways, right? Mm. Whether it was for themselves or whether it was for their kids. And that's when I, I really thought, you know, hard about kind of the industry as a whole. And, you know, today I'll share with you if you've never really thought about the beverage industry, but it's probably the most competitive industry out there. There's over 2000 beverages. There's, you know, lots of health claims. There's, um, you know, there's plain water, there's diet, um, there's flavored waters, there's thing called vitamin water, which is kind of the enhanced water segment. There's all these things and people just don't generally read labels. I mean, they just buy them based on kind of where their brain goes. So, you know, I'll, I'll pick on vitamin water for a second. I mean, people talk about vitamin water is probably the most brilliant title. And, and here's why that basically the consumer is thinking about vitamins and water and they don't actually stop and think about, well, does it have sugar in it? Most consumers don't. They assume that it's healthy. And so vitamins are healthy. Water's healthy. The combination of mm -hmm. the two is really, you know, kind of tricks the brain. And so there's a ton of healthy perception products out there, not just, you know, the one that I mentioned, but also there's just so many products out there that are healthy perception to the consumer versus healthy reality. And that was the point when I thought if I could create a product that just helped people enjoy water, that's what I needed, then that'd be a pretty cool thing to do. And again, I wasn't calling it, go be an entrepreneur, go start a company. I mean, those that sounds really daunting and hard. And instead I, I thought of it as, if I could give back in some way, just by going and creating this, you know, product to go on the shelf, similar to what I created in my kitchen, that'd just be awesome. So was there a point in time where you thought, well, if, if we do this, if we dip our toe into this marketplace, we are going to be going up against some behemoths because you have a tech background, you're familiar with how business works and the marketing piece of it. There had to have been that piece in your mind where, where you were thinking, do we really want to do this? Cause we might be, we might be hitting a hornet's nest here. Yeah. Well, I think the first, so I finally caught on to the fact that I was launching a product. We launched it at Whole Foods in San Francisco and, um, you know, definitely knew I was launching a company, but what I didn't know until probably two months in and started to really focus on all the competition that was out there was that, we were not just doing a product and a company, but also, also an entirely new category. And so when you're launching a whole new category in any industry, you have challenges. And the number one challenge is that if you, whether you have a B2C product or service or a B2B, you've got to get your customer to really understand what the heck you're talking about. So if you're, you know, if you're in my shoes, you are a little ahead and you think it's great because you're a little ahead, no one else is doing the product. But if you don't have a customer, combined with the fact that we couldn't even get to the customer because we would have the gatekeepers, I call them, the buyers who were you know, saying yay or nay to your product. And so for me, it was, I had, I think two months in, I really had this reality sunk in like oh my gosh it was it was frankly less about kind of all the competitors out there it was more about how do i get you know the buyer at beyond whole foods to know that this is an important thing for the consumer when the consumer 
doesn't even know about my product because we're not on the shelf. And this was before direct to consumer. I mean, people have asked me this question. If you, you know, do you think if you had lots of money, could you have advertised and let people know about it? Not really, because I think more than anything, people needed to try the product. So what I learned early on and, and sort of followed early on and kept taking steps forward was that this consumer who was buying it at Whole Foods shared a lot of things with me. Number one was that they also had a problem drinking plain water. So we weren't necessarily taking sales away from plain water. We were really taking sales away from diet drinks and kind of these enhanced waters that and really the early adopters that were figuring out that there were a lot of other ingredients in these products. But the most important thing that I realized was that this consumer was also sharing with me that they had health issues. And it was the first time that I ever heard about type two diabetes was, um, you know, from consumers who were writing into us or calling from the email and, or the, on the label, that's, you know, they'd reach out to us and say, gosh, I'm so happy you have this product because I'm really, you know, realizing that these diet sweeteners are kind of what's making me not, you know, feel so terrific or uh, needing to, you know, lose weight or whatever it is. And so it was at that moment when, when I started really having a dialogue with the consumer and started asking them, you know, what other stores should we be in? What other, um, when people would talk to me about, uh, for example, a few customers early on would talk to me about chemo treatments and how mm -hmm. this product was helping people who were having chemo get rid of the metallic taste in their mouth. And I'd say, oh, wow. I, I mean, I've. where do you go for chemo treatments? Are there groups of people that get together and talk about these things? And so Again, my curiosity kind of came in to this lane where I was learning all this information, but also figuring out how do I activate more of you, right? How do I understand the, the groups and where are you getting your knowledge from? Like when you are trying to figure out more about type 2 diabetes, when you're trying to figure out different types of diets, whatever it is. So these micro groups the, that I figured out early on that those were events that we could go to and sample. And so we did. And so we basically figured out and, and kind of said to ourselves, what can we do? How do we continue to move you know, this forward a bit more? And that was really kind of the key thing that we recognized that there was stuff that we couldn't, we couldn't sort of rush the consumer to catch up to where I was at. I fundamentally believe that we couldn't have spent our way into like educating the consumer. Instead, we had to bring them with us, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is that something that you see working with other entrepreneurs uh, in your discussions, coaching, you know, presentations, whatever that may be, feedback even? that there can be sometimes or oftentimes even a disconnect because there's this uh you know fluffy motivational stuff out there that that says hey if you just follow your purpose you'll never work a day in your life just follow your purpose and yet th there's also a yes and particularly if you're going into the entrepreneur space you have to do something that somebody finds valuable if you are going to use that occupation, that hobby, that business as a way to support you and your family. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you, you absolutely, I mean, you have to, it becomes tangible. I mean, I could sit here and tell mm -hmm. people all day long, you should drink an unsweetened flavored water, but unless they figured out how to place it into their own life, why they needed it. I think that, mm -hmm. you know, it, it was, that was really the key thing. And so I, I think it's true with, with every type of new idea that's out there. If you're creating a new category, I mean, the number one thing is, is that you've got to find your people, you've got to find your mm -hmm. audience mm -hmm. and people that really understand you. And then, you know, continue to go from there. And I think the other really important lesson that I learned is that, I remember being really terrified of, you know, the big guys, like when we were first launching and thinking they could crush us if they go and launch a competitive product. When the reality is, is that I remember the first time that 
Coke's product, Dasani, launched their kind of competitive hint product. And, you know, that was a bad day. I thought, okay, it's over with. They have way more money. They're coming after us. They recognize what we're doing, whatever. So they got lots of shelf space because they have all these relationships and, you know, already things all planned out. And what I realized is while it was disruptive to our business and some of, you know, the stores that we were in cancel our product because, again, they had big contracts with um, Coca-Cola. Mm -hmm. At that point, it really came down to taste and like which product tasted better. And it didn't matter that we had less space. It, they had more space than us. They were advertising the heck out of it. And what they were doing was actually helping us because they expanded the category overall. And then people who we had met at many of these events, our early adopters, were actually talking about our product as the product that just tasted better. And then eventually the big guys ended up deciding that it wasn't worth their time and they discontinued their product. And so every time over the last 16 years that a big guy has come out with a competitive product, we actually gain space, which is so counter to what I it would is. have thought, yeah. right? Yeah. And yet, and so because I thought being the early guy, you know, I'm, I have to save my space, right? I have to treat it as, you know, anybody who comes in, I have to be on the defense mode, right? I have to, and instead, mm -hmm. how it spoke to me more and how I think about it today is that, you know, there's stuff that's going to happen around you that you can't do anything about. And what you have to do is put your stakes in the ground, continue to service your customers, but also create a great product and, and a great service mm -hmm. and do your job, right? Like that's, and, and that holds true for not only a product or a company, but also an individual, right? That there's going to be stuff that goes on around you and, yeah. you know, and you just have to, you know, keep your chin up. And I know you've done that for many, many years and many mm -hmm. awesome situations. And I think it's just, it really is kind of, it's, it's the same thing. Well, and I love that because I think it's a great example of what I call understanding what your span of control is. It's, it's identifying what you know are the most important things you need to focus on. You still continue with your plan for success, and then you have to figure out a way to still communicate, whether it's to your customers, the people who are working with you, for you, your vendor partners, um, in a way that inspires them. So as you're moving through this, and essentially the marketplace is is expanding, it's the the footprint of maybe what what you know other people are testing the market. How do you know, Kara, when you've rolled out? a couple of different products, how do you know when it's time to launch? And now you're adding to the hint line. You've got, you've got sunscreen, you've got lip balm, you've got these other health related products. Mm -hmm. How do you know when it's time to launch when the markets that you're entering have an extraordinarily high failure rate? Yeah. I think that the key thing that I share with, uh, entrepreneurs is that your product will never be perfect. And so you get it as perfect as you can, and then you launch it because you're going to learn so much once you get it out there. And, you know, the day that we got it on the shelf at Whole Foods, I don't know, maybe 12 hours later, we were saying, oh gosh, like the lighting in the store, we hadn't mm -hmm. accounted for what our product would look like on the shelf because you don't exactly know when you're getting, you know, on use Whole Foods as an example, your focus is just to get your product on the shelf. You you don't have like negotiating space to say, I would like to be right here and I don't want any of these people around me. I mean, it's just will not happen. If you think it's going to happen, I mean, you're crazy. Maybe if you're Pepsi or Coca-Cola and you have a lot of negotiated space, you'd say, this is really where I want to be. But mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. unlikely that you're going to be able to pull that off as an entrepreneur and certainly an entrepreneur like me that had no industry experience. I mean, I came from tech. I was like clueless about any of this. So once we got it on the shelf, what I learned was that the lighting, no one could see our product. We had a clear label on the product. Mm -hmm. We want, I wanted the whole product to be clear because the water was clear. I thought, 
clarity. I don't know. I was like thinking everything's got to be clear. And, and what I realized was that the lighting made such a difference. If a colorful mm -hmm. product was right next to us on the shelf, the consumer couldn't see the product. Once we actually switched a couple of years later to white labels versus clear labels, I mean, we 5X'd our like overnight. And I just thought, this is crazy. And by the way, the white labels were cheaper than the clear labels too. And you know, like all of these things and we're like, oh, right. Yeah. And so it just speaks to the fact that you really yeah. don't know what you don't know. And so what I always say to people, I mean, obviously in food or personal care, or cosmetics, whatever, you want to make sure that your product is safe and case of food or drink, that it tastes good, but you're going to learn so much. And I think that that's a lesson that I learned in tech. If you think about tech, everything in tech is about 2.0 and upgrades. I mean, look at, you know, mm -hmm. Apple, mm -hmm. like, and phones. I mean, they, they have two or three versions right now sitting inside of Apple headquarters behind, you know, lock and key that haven't come out yet because they know and they want to get it out on the market and get it launched and see what happens. And they can do tweaks to those ones that they haven't launched yet. But in the, in the food industry, it's kind of funny because that's not the way it works. Like if you launch a, typically if you launch a beverage company, like look at, you know, Pepsi, I'll pick on them now, Pepsi, you launch a product and it either does well or you kill the product. And there's no mm -hmm. 2.0, there's no, you know, let's rethink the label. I mean, it's just, it either did well or it was a disaster. And I think that right. they're like the stuff from the tech industry with 2.0 upgrades, all of those kind of things, that thinking, again, I didn't know what I was doing when I walked into this industry, but I just thought here, you know, I'm bringing this, these other set of rules and the way that business is done into the beverage industry, I would say these kind of things to the beverage industry and they'd say, well, it doesn't work that way in this industry. And I'd say, why? And I don't know, but it just doesn't. And I would Probably. think, I don't know, like maybe, maybe it should. And, and so I think that that's where innovation really comes in, in any industry. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something I think a lot about. And I, I think that crossing over into different industries is really where you do see the most in innovation. And so while so many people poo-pooed me walking into this industry saying I didn't have experience, if you think about it, mm -hmm. that's really where when you have another set of eyes and, and ears and you know brain power coming in and somebody who's curious and somebody who's asking you know the right questions, like the weird questions, those are the ones that are going to disrupt and change things. And yet people think that those are the people that they don't know what they're talking about. Those are the people I worry about way more than people who have come from big companies, you know, indust the industry experience, because they don't know how to innovate. They don't know how to think differently. Right. And that's, that's where I think that skill set of even being able to think critically, to stay curious, to be willing to set your ego aside and say, I don't know. I don't know mm -hmm. the answer, but I'll figure it out. Um, and one of the things I really loved in your book, Undaunted, and that was so relatable uh, to me, is this idea you talk about building the airplane while you're flying it. Now, my personal preference would be while it's going down the runway and, yes. and not necessarily while you're flying it just for, uh, for, you know, survivability sake, but it's built on that foundational idea that the elements of getting the basic and then fixing everything else as you go along. Mm -hmm. But again, in order to be able to do that, I think you have to have the leadership in place, whether it's a founder like you, or if we're talking in a bigger corporation, your management team, your leadership team, your account managers that can move forward with an idea of 80% is good enough and we're going to keep improving. But that requires you to be able to set your ego aside and not think I've got it all figured out and or even waiting until you think everything is perfect because yeah. that can be disaster. 
Yeah, and I think it it really speaks to something that I think a lot about and and uh, actually had Allison Levine on my podcast and was talking to her about this that you know, pretty much in in any industry or any kind of, you know, as she uh, jumped in and and shared in even climbing Everest, complacency Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. not a good thing. You've got to figure out how to move and you've got to figure out and, and also be very, very aware. And sometimes being very, very aware is exhausting, right? But you've got to be on and you've got to understand that you may need to pivot. You know, if you're going right, maybe you're going to have to turn left and you have to have you know, know how, or I don't know what else, fearless or, or whatever it is that, that you do along the way. But the people that really recognize that maybe it's not the right way, right? That the, the problem mm-hmm. and the disasters really happen when you think, you know, I said I was going in this direction and that's what I was doing. And then they didn't have mm-hmm. the ability to stop, right? And actually say, wait a minute, whether it's a gut check or you know, whether it's whatever, a feeling along the way. And mm-hmm. I think about this a lot, that it's call it EQ, call, I don't know what it is exactly, but it's something that you're able to say, you know, I I think it's time to we were headed that way and here's now where we need to go in this other direction that it really speaks to me a lot in the best entrepreneurs that it's not you're humbled often by it too because you thought and you woke up that morning and you thought that you were just going to go in that direction but i think having the ability to change course and also have a team that actually trusts you Mm -hmm. I I mean, for for me, starting in a new industry with no experience, people have often asked me, how do you get a team, you know, to kind of be behind you? And I, you know, I think when you're when you're hopping from one industry to another, and also I had four kids under the age of six, had never been in this industry, I was self-funding the company. I was not the girl that you wanted to, you know, stand in line behind. I mean, I was just, I was not right. I didn't look like I was going to be able to do it. So I think, you know, my answer to that is you get anyone who is willing to follow you and you have to have the ability to change those people along the way too, or recognize that people may only be there for a few months and then they need to go do something else for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But you need to, keep going. And I think be able to being able to having a great idea for a company is only half of it. The other half of it is really being able to recruit and, and know when you need to do something different from, you know, the people standpoint in order to scale. Well, and I think that's where, again, you, you were uh, fortunate enough, if you will, to be able to have some of that decision-making or business acumen combined with a curiosity and what sounds like to me, um, this need to be a relentless learner, that when you pair that together, it's not that you were so lucky because you knew everything, it's that you had an experience and you kept building on that. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm sure you've seen it too and just exactly what you're talking about, too often I know even the teams that I'll work with when you, if you what if something or you're doing a strategic plan or you're on a board and people start bringing up the what ifs, right? The worst case scenario. And there will always be people in the room or on the team are like, no, 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 we can't talk about that. But then what happens is that when you start getting close to that pressure point, if you haven't talked about what you will do when that bad thing happens, now it's, you can't discern anymore that sunk cost, right? So now you're going to go all in and now you've lost that ability to pivot. So it's how do you gain the experience? How do you gain the knowledge? Who do you surround yourself with that particularly for a company like yours that you've scaled actually pretty quickly, you're enormously successful. How do you surround yourself or, or maintain a pod of people who can still call you out on your BS? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, I think actually, so my husband actually is our chief operating officer and he stayed close to me early on and because I was taking money out of our personal bank account. He was like, wait a minute, what's, mm -hmm. what's going on? And how did you, uh, so mm -hmm. full disclosure, he jumped in because he was like, wait, what exactly are you doing? And, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he didn't plan on coming and working for Hint. He's our chief operating officer and has been here, um, since the early days. I think he didn't have an official title till a few months after I actually got the first bottle on the shelf at Whole Foods. But it's interesting because he definitely was somebody that believed in me, right? And, and mm -hmm. knew that I had this idea, but also was able to say, well, have you thought about it this way? Have you thought about it this way? So it doesn't work for everybody to work with your spouse, but I think it can right? It can work if you have two friends working together who can speak honestly, who can say, wait a minute, what are we doing? You know, it's, it's, that is having that honest dialogue, that authentic dialogue where you can have kind of a checks and balances is, is I think really, really important. Um, but it, you know, I think more than anything too, uh, just having advisors that um, kind of mm -hmm. even unofficial advisors that I always found that in order to break things down, you know, if, if you actually stop and say, okay, I'm going to go, you know, be a um, fighter jet pilot, for example, it's the, that's a very daunting thing, but instead you back it up and you say, you know, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to do this. I'm at, right. You take steps along the way. It's the exact same thing. And in, in becoming an entrepreneur for me, I, I set little goals and then, you know, I had this long-term goal of, yes, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Yes. I wanted to start a company. Um, but I, I almost like forgot about those. I put them off to the side initially because I knew I had to have little wins along the way mm -hmm. in order to kind of get to where I was going. And I think that as I started to kind of tackle little problems along the way. For example, how do I think about direct to consumer, which is about 50% of our overall business, very unique for the beverage industry. So while we have business in Costco and Walmart and Whole Foods, we also have this direct to consumer business on drinkhint.com where, you know, I had run the direct to consumer partnerships for America Online, but I had never run my own store. So I didn't know how to pick and pack and deal with data and all that kind of stuff. So for each of these problems, I knew that I had a goal of doing direct to consumer, but I started to think about what are all the pain points. And then I would go out and I would find somebody that I thought was, was tackling that pain point well. And I would reach out to them and I would tell them what my overall problem was, but I'd say what I really want to understand from you is X. And it's amazing because I think that if you go outside of your own industry, first of all, I couldn't go inside of my own industry because no one was doing what I was doing. But like, if I would say to them, how do I get my product into Whole Foods? None of them would talk to me because they looked at me as a competitor. But it, you're a threat. Sure. Right, I'm a threat. Yeah. But instead yeah. I go to them and I'd say, I know you're in this other industry, but you have this incredible business in eyeglasses. Totally different. And I'd say, how do you guys think about data? And who do you talk to around data? Like what are, you know, two or three things that you wish you knew? And I'd start taking notes on all these things. And that's where... I got the most amount of information and probably more information that if I was an eyeglass company and I'd go and, you know, talk to another eyeglass company, they'd be like, I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing, but instead I'm saying I'm doing beverage. Here's how, you know, like we have the same problem. I'm so far behind, but here's what I'm thinking about it. And it's amazing when people don't, they don't view you as a threat, right? They view you as somebody that's like where they were a few years ago. Mm -hmm. It's amazing mm -hmm. how much people are there to help. Absolutely. And when, when you're going through this whole process, I'm sure you had to, you know, gone through some, some setbacks or trying to figure out, oh my gosh, just when you kind of feel like you're, you're getting it figured out, you're getting a little momentum. Was there any, any, ever any, a time where you struggled and you thought, or your husband thought, we've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> You're juggling four kids, 
you're trying to grow a business. So many. I mean, one in particular <laughs> that I think is, I mean, I just shake my head at it because it's, uh, there were so many points along the way. But I remember, got our product into Starbucks, which was a huge day on the map, the map of, you know, that the timeline of Hint, I mean, that was a massive day. And I remember hearing that we were going to go into just over 6,000 Starbucks nationwide. It was really, really exciting, just with one flavor, the blackberry flavor. And our buyer, I asked our buyer, what is success? Like if, you know, we're selling mm -hmm. bottles and of Hint and Starbucks, what will you be happy with? And she's, I'll never forget. She said, that's such a funny question. I, I've, no one's ever asked me that. And I was <sighs> thinking, really? I mean, it, it's like a goal, right? Yeah. Of, you know, I thought it was just odd. Well, whatever. I'm still asking it. So what is success? And she said, so if you do a bottle and a half per store per day, then you're doing really well. And so I sat there and looked at that goal and said, one and a half bottles per store per day. Again, we only have a few people in the company. I'm sitting here putting all my eggs in the Starbucks basket. After about six months, we achieved a bottle and a half per store per day. And then it continued to grow. I'm feeling super confident. A year goes by, we're growing, we're growing a year and a half. We are doing three bottles per store per day. So I'm feeling like rock star. I had put so much emphasis into this business that I had kind of forgotten about the rest of the company and really focused on putting all my eggs in this basket. We got an email from the new buyer and she said, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but we are discontinuing the relationship. And I'm like, you have the wrong company because we're doing three <laughs> bottles per store per day. You know, you must have gotten the wrong email or phone number or brand, whatever. She said, no, I'm so sorry. This is a directive from the CEO's office and we're going to be putting food in the case. She took the time to explain, you know, why they were doing this, mm -hmm. you know, higher margin, higher ring, all that stuff. But it didn't help me because I had six months worth of inventory and I had investors and a board and I was banking on this. And that was like, I had no alternatives. I had, you know, it was really, really a, like a troubling time for me. And when I asked her when they were discontinuing the product, she said, next week. And I said, oh my gosh. Next week. <laughs> and I was just like, I mean, I sunk and I, I cry. I don't cry very often, but I remember mm -hmm. thinking, I don't know how to get out of this. So I'm still thinking about, you know, the overall relationship. What else can I do? All these things that all good entrepreneurs do. And I realized something, number one, that Starbucks had paid us on time. They had made the strategic decision. They didn't, you know, give us enough time to you know, they were going to cancel us next week, but they exposed us to lots of customers throughout the U.S. And, you know, lots of people knew about Hint, but we were going away next week and I didn't have a relationship with any of these consumers. And mm -hmm. I asked Starbucks for their emails, even if they had the emails, which probably not, they had, you know, credit cards maybe, but they, they weren't going to give them to me. And so I remember thinking, how do I get to this consumer and tell them that we're still open? We just aren't going to be there. How do I go back into the rest of my retailers and kind of tell them, you know, I'm sorry, I kind of forgot about you guys. You know, I wasn't really focused because I was so busy trying to make sure that Starbucks was happening. And I got an email from another Seattle company, Amazon. And Amazon said, hey, you guys have you know, done a little test with us. We want to roll you out with this new grocery program that we have. And they said, we really need to get the product like as soon as possible. Otherwise, we're going to have to wait another six months. And I said, well, I have a few truckloads of product. And, you know, if you just wire me the money, then I'll be, you know, great. And they said, oh, that's terrific. We love the BlackBerry. The thing that the buyer said to me, I'll never forget on that call. He said, I buy your product every day when I get my latte at Starbucks every morning. So I'm thinking, Okay. Well, that was like, really, don't, do I tell him? Don't tell him. Yeah. <laughs> and so I didn't, I didn't right. tell him. And so anyway, we became 
one of the number one products in, in Amazon. A year into this relationship, I'm sitting in the buyer's office in Seattle with Amazon and uh, he, you know, sharing the great news about how well we're doing. But then he said, in addition, the people that are buying your product on Amazon are also buying diabetes monitors, crossing over into other categories that is allowing us to like have a higher ring. It really has this healthy halo across. And I said, oh, that's so fascinating because that's kind of my story. And, you know, and I really developed this product because I wanted to get healthier. And he said, yeah, it's really different than some of these other beverages that we have on the service. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Can you give me some of the emails from some of the customers that are buying my product? And he said, it's not your product. He was like, this is Amazon's product. And I said, what do you mean? I mean, I produce the product. He said, you sell the product to us. And then it's our customer. It's not your customer anymore. And I, and I remember listening to this gentleman and thinking, hmm, this is interesting. And then he said, does Starbucks give you the emails? Does Costco? Does Whole Foods? And I said, they don't. And so it was at that moment where I had this massive wake-up call mm -hmm. and I thought, if I really want to have the relationship with the consumer, then I need to do what's in my control, which is mm -hmm. start my own business, drinkhint.com. And I will let them do what they do, very similar to competitors, right? You have to focus on what you can do. And that's, it's a major, major message. All this other noise is going to go on around you. People are going to run their business. They're going to think about your product differently than maybe you think about it. But for me, it was this, it was this wake up call that I needed to do what I had control. And so I did that weekend. And the long and short of that story is that it all kind of started with Starbucks. And so the challenging times that you have along the way Sometimes they're so challenging and they're they're terrible and they, you know, can I say the word suck, right? Like they're they're in a level where you're thinking they they're just I don't even know why I'm going through this time, but I feel like it's a story of the dots eventually connect. And what mm -hmm. can you learn? I mm -hmm. I can learn that don't put all your eggs in one basket. Always diversify and have options that relationship with the consumer at all times is what your goal should be. And so, so many things. And I think that sometimes you have to go through these pain points in your journey to be able to kind of get to where you ultimately need to be. And I, I just, I think um, I'm thankful for the Starbucks relationship and how that, you know, sort of, I, I never know if it should be a triangle or a full circle or however you talk about it. I really feel like it's it's something that I needed to go through in order to build my business, build, you know, me as an entrepreneur and as a human and, and sort of, you know, go through that journey. Well, I love that. And it's one of the things I always say is that uh, and not with, you know, with a hashtag blessed, smiling and, and lightly, but that adversity introduces you to yourself. Totally. And you, you don't know in those moments either how you're going to respond or how you can learn from it. And, and it's, it's very difficult to learn the lesson in the moment, which clearly you, you learned it from Starbucks, but then you had to relearn it with Amazon and you were probably like, oh my gosh, here I am again. Yeah. Okay. That's crazy. not going to happen again. Yes. Yes. And that feeling of what I can only imagine had to have been a paralyzing vulnerability, actually, because it's your business. It's your whole business. Yeah. And, and when you, you know, I think that that's the other thing that I realize and I share with entrepreneurs all the time. It's just a, you know, people are going to run their business and, you know, you've got to run your business and you can all be nice to each other and do the right thing. But, you know, sometimes people are going to, do the right thing for them. And that interferes with you and your business. And, you know, it's crappy, right? It's like, it hurts, you know, sometimes it costs you money, but I think that the more important thing is always recognizing that you have options, right? And never, you know, getting down to a point where that's it. 
you only have this one option because mm-hmm. anytime mm-hmm. you only have one option in life, in business, whatever it is, you know, you're sort of, when it doesn't go the way that you want it to go, you feel like someone's choking you. Yeah. And, yeah, you're and on the ropes for sure. Right. Right. Yeah. So always figuring out and maybe that in some way is kind of what I was talking about earlier about, you know, the tech industry is like this 2.0, right? Always mm. recognizing that it's, you know, I'm on my journey, I'm doing, you know, what I'm doing, but always recognizing and being open to other options out there are really the most and smartest thing and way to be. I love that. And I have to tell you, I've never heard anybody phrase it quite like that, or just that idea of, Hey, it's going to be 2.0. And I get the whole, we're going to keep learning. We're going to move. We're going to iterate, but it's so tactile to me that whether it's an iPhone update or, or your Android or whatever the case may be, there's going to be an update. Yeah. So just keep going. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you can't break. I mean, I always, you know, Mm -hmm. tell people too, in between tech and and starting Hint, I needed a few years to kind of, I didn't plan on taking a few years off, but I took a few years to be with my kids and I'm, I'm really happy I did. And there were plenty of people around me telling me I was doing the wrong thing because, you know, getting off the train at that point was, especially as a female executive, that it was not smart. And again, people are going to, everyone has opinions. Your family and your friends are the worst. They don't intend to be the worst, but they all have, you know, opinions because they want you to be safe. They don't want you to take risk. Right. And they don't see kind of what you see in terms of possibilities. But I think that the happiest people that I know today and the people that are really, you know, kind of going out there and doing great stuff are the ones that really view this, this journey as learning right? And they're, you know, continuing to open themselves up to different possibilities. And, you know, something I talk about even in my book, Undaunted, these opportunities don't always just present themselves. Sometimes they do, but most of the time they don't. Like you actually have to find these opportunities that seem a little scary, right? That seem like, oh, I don't know if that's even what I could do. I mean, I remember even thinking about writing a book. It was my journal for five years. And when I asked a friend of mine who's an author, if, uh, how do I publish my journal so that I could help a lot of people? She said, do you mean uh, like write a book? And I said, oh no, that's so scary. I could never write a book. That's for other people. Yeah. I write it. I, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm a good writer, but I'm not an author and I'm also, you know, a full-time entrepreneur and CEO. So how could I go do that? And then when I realized that it was really taking these steps and I had already done a lot of the work already, then I was like, okay, all right, I got this. And, you know, and having great friends like Allison, who had written a book as well, and others that really kind of coached me along the way. And again, using that same theory of when you've got problems or forks in the road, you figure out like, who's your phone a friend, right? Who can you call (laughs) to say, hey, have you ever been through this? And it's a, and frankly, it's a lot less daunting to them to say, I mean, great example on this to say, if I were to call Allison and say, how do I write a book? That's a lot, right? That's, that's a big conversation versus actually asking her, you know, how do I do just this one point? And I think that that's something that people often forget that, you know, find those things that are scary to you that are troubling you and try and get that little thing solved. Cause if you can get that little thing solved, then you also build resilience and confidence along the way. Okay, I got through that one. I got through that one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Every little step you take like that builds a little more strength, a little more courage, and that confidence that allows you to go on to the next thing. But too often, I think people want to skip the step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> And you totally. can't skip it. Yeah, you can't yeah. skip it. Well, hey, Carol, I have a feeling I'm going to, uh, at some point in time, have to ask you back and we'll talk about the whole women in business thing. Uh, I'm a mom of four kids as well, and I call it going, transitioning from Mach 2 to preschool and back again, if you will. Uh, and I'd love to hear how you've, how you've made all of that yeah. work, but, uh, but we'll save that for another conversation. So do you have time for five quick rapid fire questions? Yeah, let's do okay. it. Don't overthink them. Just Give me your first answer. What's your go-to music when you work out? 
probably uh, Goo Goo Dolls. Oh, yeah, Mr. Resnick. Yeah, yeah. good yeah. one. There That's a go. good one. Yeah. Uh, who do you think of as a mentor and what did you need to learn from them? So one of our actual investors and somebody who I just totally admire because he's sort of paved his own way and maybe many people don't even realize that he's paved his own way, but John Legend, um, you know, how he has, you know, really kind of created his own path where he's been able to kind of do what he wants to do. I mean, he does movies, he does, uh, he wrote and directed movies. He's like, you know, done just amazing stuff in addition to writing his own music and, and kind of doing his own thing. And by the way, he was a Bain consultant before, so he switched mm -hmm. industries. So mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, more than anything, I, I find mentors who really show strength and have done sort of paved their own way. And he's mm -hmm. one example. Like There's many people that I that I sort of am attracted to because of that. Well, probably because of their resilience and they remain undaunted. But I'm exactly. Um, okay, so who plays you in a movie? Oh, good question. Um, uh, I'm terrible at at names actually, but um, I'm thinking maybe another fierce, fearless female, Jessica Chastain. Yeah. Yeah, she would, she, I'll go with her. She's super talented. So she might be able to keep up with you. Two, two last quick questions. What do you think is the biggest misperception of you? That I'm very social. I, I, I think I, I'm a Gemini. So I have two sides of me and I need my downtime and my quiet time. And, and, uh, and I think that a lot of people think that I'm, you know, wanting to go to, you know, a party, an event. I do like doing that, but I'm really, I also like my, you know, quiet time and space. Mm -hmm. Okay. Last one. We have $100, a full tank of gas and the day off. Where are we going? Beach for sure. Oh, yes. Yeah. All right. And, and we can use some of our new sunscreen. There you go. That I love right? it. I love it. <laughs> I love well, it. Kara, people want to get in touch with you or follow your continued uh, expanding hint journey. Where can they find you? Kara Golden with an I all over social media and uh, definitely pick up a copy of the book or order it on uh, the Audible version. At, it's called Undaunted Overcoming Doubts and Doubters about my journey and building a company, but also building uh, something that I initially thought I wasn't sure if it was possible. And so it's definitely a book about facing your fears and, and owning the fact that you're not necessarily going to be the smartest one or in the room or the most experienced, I should say, in the room. Uh, and definitely, hopefully, if you haven't tried Hint products, that you should pick up a bottle of water or sunscreen or any of the other great products that we're creating. That's awesome. And Kara, I have to say, I, I give you five stars on your book as well. I think it's for a couple of reasons. I think it's really easy to read. I love the structure. I love your takeaways. And I also love, I have it in all the different formats that you are the one who narrated it on Audible. I did. I did. And that was a lot of fun yeah. during the pandemic. So that. that's a story in and of itself. Yeah, no, you did a really, really lovely job. So congratulations on that. Thanks yeah. so and much. No, it's great. It's a great book. Very, a very useful tool. I would highly recommend it to anybody for sure. And especially anybody who's even dipping their toe into that entrepreneurial and, and leadership and management space. It's just, just tons of good takeaways in it. So well done. And thank I thank you. Yeah. I thank you so much for carving out time out of your really busy schedule. Uh, I know you've, you've got a lot of things pulling on you and, and new graduates as well. So it's been a pleasure having you. Thanks so much, Kara. Thank you. And thank you for joining me for this episode of Welcome to My Office. If you enjoy the show, make sure you take a second to subscribe so you automatically get my new shows when they drop. Also, if you enjoyed the conversation today, I'd love if you left us a review so that more fearless leaders like you can discover us. It takes less than 60 seconds and it really makes a difference and I also love reading the reviews. And if you have a chance, drop me a line personally on my social channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, 
occasionally Clubhouse. And of course, you can always find me at carrielorenz.com. And finally, my book, Span of Control, What to Do When You're Under Pressure, Overwhelmed, and Ready to Get What You Really Want, is finally out in the world, and I'm super excited about that. I know it will help you and the teams you lead identify your priorities, find focus, navigate obstacles, and find success, even during times of chaos or uncertainty. It's available at all fine retailers, Audible, and any indie bookstores near you. So grab a copy for yourself, maybe your team, a new graduate, or even your boss. Thank you for sharing your time with me today. I'm glad you stopped by.